For those who are new to the show, or who were first introduced during our current conversational series of episodes, you may not have heard something that we've done in past seasons. At the end of each episode, I sit down with the Flip's executive producer and my B-mic, Shio Faluio, who is also the co-founder and CEO of the home services platform, Candua. And Shio and I have a retrospective conversation on the theme we explored in that episode. It's our opportunity to reflect on what the interviewees said and to try to make sense of the insights they shared. Since our current series explored one theme, digitizing analog and informal industries, we opted to have one retrospective conversation to reflect on the 10 episodes we just published over the past two and a half months. And that conversation is this episode. Shio and I talk about high-touch, people-centric tech startups. We talk about market segmentation, interoperability, and specialization. And I think we even invent a new as-a-service category. But before we start, we'd like to thank MFS Africa for their sponsorship of the entirety of this conversational series of episodes. In our exploration of the startups and entrepreneurs digitizing analog and informal industries, an underlying theme and something that Shio and I talk about in this episode is fragmentation. Fragmentation not only at the last mile or of individual sectors, but fragmentation of markets across the continent. And Dare Okuju, the founder and CEO of MFS Africa, he thinks because of this fragmentation, we'll ultimately see more consolidation, especially in fintech. Last year, MFS Africa acquired another fintech, Bionic, and perhaps this ought to inform the strategy of founders and investors alike. There are a few facts that one has to always keep in mind here. And one of them is that most markets in Africa are subscale. So success or winners will need to be multi-market. You will need to be multi-market to be able to get to a, something that is sizable and, and matters in the long run. And I'm taking here five to 10 years perspective on industry. If you want to look at success five to 10 years from now, most successful companies will be multi-market. How do you achieve that? Because most of this initiative or most businesses that we are seeing are still kind of starting in one particular market and then growing to multi-markets. And I think from that perspective, consolidation will play a big role. And the ability for fintech companies or you know, companies in this sector to think laterally about combining resources at some point to be able to achieve that scale first, faster. So I think that is one driver of consolidation. The other one, which is also the fact, is that I think for a very long time, fintech will be built on the rails of mobile money. That is just the most basic form of current account that people are going to be able to leverage to build services on top of that. And by the nature of the mobile business itself, which is multi-market, dominated by multi-brands, and assuming consolidation in the mobile business itself will continue to be able to keep up or to be significant or to be meaningful for these mobile networks as a partner, you also will need, people will be forced to be multi-market and people will be forced to go on to, to achieve scale through that. And also an acquisition or merger and acquisition will be a great tool to achieve that. So because the, the, the founders will also need at some point to create a path toward exit, what we've done now with Bionic will slowly become a template, I think. will slowly become a way of thinking about how to get to an exit when if you're in fintech, either a company or an investor at the moment in Africa. Now, without any further ado, here's our series retrospective. You're listening to The Flip, the podcast exploring more contextually relevant stories from entrepreneurs around Africa. So we set out to 
to weave a red thread through all of these episodes, this idea about digitizing and formal and analog industries. So I wonder if there's actually some transmutable lessons that we learned or that were exposed across a variety of sectors and businesses and markets that we covered in this episode. I have talking points. Okay. I do think it was interesting how many of the interviewees had people in the delivery of their products. I thought I found that quite interesting, like actual people. There was a lot of people to people stuff, which I thought was interesting and indicative actually of what it takes. I thought about, so we just ran like a training course for artisans. And one of the things that worked really well was this idea of group accountability and all the take-home work. There was like a leaderboard. There was like this peer accountability. And then I, it's something we see a lot either with the, the group savings or with, I can't remember who it was. I think it was the retail, informal retail one, maybe market force. And this idea of local community group thing as just as a tool for product adoption, I just think is interesting that I want to think more about. Well, I think it's actually many things. It's a tool for product adoption. It's also customer service, customer success arm. It's also distribution, MarketForce 360 having Salesforce as a service. And I wonder, it's really interesting in terms of this whole ethos of software is eating the world. We just did a whole season actually about people-heavy, high-touch businesses where the high touch element is a feature and a a critical enabler of that. I guess, again, back to like the know your customer type of thing, having people involved is not something that like cut out the middleman type of thing. It's entirely a feature for the, the products and the services in question. Yeah. And I dig that a lot. I dig it. I think, again, it's like, it's, it's interesting. It's contextual. Even like high touch, you know, customer onboarding can also be a feature for U.S., you know, Western software companies in developed markets. I'm thinking of like superhuman, how you can't sign up for superhuman unless you do like a 30 minute onboarding call. And so I wonder if to some extent also this idea about like self-serve SaaS, you don't need to speak to a human. We don't have a phone number that you can call. I wonder if the pendulum has actually swung too far in that instance and this feature thing the feature being high touch is something that ought not ever be overlooked on the continent because of the dynamic of the market in which we're dealing. But that is something that is really a benefit ubiquitously. 100%. Yeah, really well said, because I don't for one second believe that um, even, I don't know, maybe like 80% of guys doing much are doing it on a this like super low touch kind of thing but there is that thing and I think it's also important again when we talk about contextually relevant insights when we talk about who is driving narratives I think those are the kind of narratives that send people down the a weird road because it's like yeah what do you hear about you hear about the trend and when you're hearing about it out of context you might be forgiven for believing it's more like 10% not 80% of, of people that are running fairly high touch processes or something like that. That said, I do think it's definitely more of a feature here than elsewhere. I wonder then if the notion of digitization of informal and analog industries 
how we presented that content is a little bit of a miss or was a little bit misrepresentative in that what we're not saying with the benefit of hindsight, what we didn't mean to say was that digitization means creating software for everything, but it was just digital first structures for an otherwise analog environment, digital processes that work together well with the people who are a irreplaceable part of the business operations of the companies that we're talking about and in the, the markets that we're talking about as well. I didn't feel that energy, by the way, just it might have been where we were coming at it from, but I felt like even the fact that we're having this conversation means that it did the content did its job. Maybe I'm overstating the fact that we may have been misrepresentative, but I think that that's then actually the conclusion for me is that digitization doesn't mean software on its own necessarily. It means software to improve analog processes, but you know, like a use of agents or high touch onboarding, for example, is not necessarily unnecessarily analog. It's in fact a feature and an important feature that when backed up by software and enabled by software is compatible with what a modern contextually relevant business, digital first business ought to be. You know, this nuanced blend of I touch people and software. Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. It seems like that's, that's kind of what people do anyway. Is that self-evident or was that known? Like, am I, are we reaching a conclusion that's not actually surprising? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's good to remind oneself. Right? That's that thing for me. It's like, you know it when you think about it. Like you just said, right? Like, what did you say? Superhuman. You know it when you think about it. And if you think about a lot of your experiences, you get a feel for it. It's, I think it's that 1%, 2%. 8% that don't need any or much intervention and they carry the narrative and you forget it sometimes. I thought an interesting point that uh, doesn't come up that often and I just thought it was smart, mostly because I feel the same way, was about thinking quite about specific segments in the informal sector. It gets brushed with this wide brush of informal retail and like segmentation of that is really important. Industry segmentation, size segmentation, things like that. And you don't hear people talk about that a lot, probably because they have to sell a big market size. But I, I do think it's important. I just thought it was interesting. Firstly, defining those segments properly. And then secondly, what that means for product makers, what are the relevant market sizes that make it worth it? What's more attractive than not attractive? What's a beachhead into what? There's all sorts of considerations that I find interesting that maybe, and I'm sure the entrepreneurs are thinking about, but you don't get to see as much from outside looking in, which is also leads me to my next thing around like this everybody's a fintech thing. Where does everybody start and everybody begin? And who can organize? I guess there's a, a natural and organic self-organizing that will happen, right? Some will die, some will merge, some will fight. You know, like there's a natural thing. I just wonder if there's a smarter, quicker way to work out who's going to be best placed where. Like if we, if we need a dictator. What, who can consolidate all of these guys who are doing pretty adjacent stuff? Mm -hmm. Into market segments and capabilities. The dictator is the, the invisible hand of the free market. Yeah, that's facts. 
I had this whole thing about like, what happens when everybody is interoperable? What is the role of the middleman in a fully interoperable world? And everybody you're talking to is a middleman. So I guess my response to that first would be to ask if the premise of a fully interoperable world is even possible. Isn't that what we're going for? Interoperable, decentralized. Isn't this the trend? Definitely. What does that mean for the middleman? Like, do the economics of building shit just completely change? But, but are the middlemen the ones who are enabling interoperability, though? But you'd assume, like, true interoperability means basically a very low barrier to entry. And I think that completely changes the economics of being a middleman, right? Well, I guess the question is, if are these services going to run out of margin such that the being a middleman is no longer going to be profitable? And then what? And that's what we're starting to see with peer-to-peer payments. It's like people are waiving fees and then the whole thing is, can you build a super app of adjacent services so that you can actually generate a healthy margin on your customer because the typical fee-based services that a middleman offers are becoming or presumably will become obsolete or at least the margin will be reduced such that you need to find real service-based revenue that's not just middlemen revenue. But isn't the interesting thing that the service-based revenue is also another middleman? These services that you're talking about, aren't they also middlemen? Like the embedded finance (laughs) to the core transaction is also a middleman of financial services providers wanting to provide service. So their transaction is also getting competed away because if you assume that like interoperability. What about ride hailing? Is ride hailing and food delivery a middleman? Yeah, of course. Uh, and to be honest, and I think that's where the, it starts becoming interesting because in the world of like full interoperability, I think you're talking about a world where if my food is good, everybody tells their friends, they follow my own direct page because they can easily discover me and see what their friends like. And there's good recommendation engines everywhere. They can order directly from my website. I have a, an easy API access into a, someone's phone who has a car nearby who can just pick up the food and drive it to me and drop it. Yeah, but that's a middle, the API is a middleman too. But I'm saying that concentration of power is more distributed. So I'm not saying it goes to zero, but in this world, it should be more distributed. And it's just an interesting, I mean, and I also think there's a lot of, there's actual answers to this question, but it's just an interesting thought experiment that I think I haven't quite got my head around in this world of embedded everything and interoperability and where everybody wants everything in one. What role the middleman plays? Like, where should you be positioning yourself as a founder or company thinking that that world is going to exist? Well, I guess the question then I I actually want to ask you is, in what instances is, in spite of our endeavor for things to be more interoperable and in spite of, you know, a trend towards decentralization, in what instances is a middleman a feature, right? And middlemen as trust and as onboarding? Are you talking about mass? What? Mass. What is that? Middleman as a service. <laughs> oh, yeah. is that a thing? Uh, no, but I think what you're saying is just that, yeah, I think things get 
broken down into specific services. So you have an onboarding service, you have a KYC service, you have a this service. Someone said that in your in the interviews, said you break everything down and then rebundle it. Yeah. So Odun talked about bundling and rebundling. And then Vahid with Nomanini also talked about like a core belief being specialization. And so everyone is a specialist at whatever. And then I guess in this case, to continue the theme of middlemen, like those are the middlemen, but they are middlemen because because they're providing value. It, it's, it's almost like to the point we've talked about before with double-sided marketplaces and platforms, it's like you have to provide a value above and beyond just connecting two ends or, or other services and other things that platforms provide beyond just like their core thing. And if you're just being a rent seeker and charging fees as as a middleman, that's not middleman as a service. That's middleman as an extractor. So there's a big difference. I think actually the, the way you said it is nice. I think we're going through an unbundling. It's interesting to see how far that can go. And I actually think quite exciting on the specialization front. I'd really like people to be good at whatever it is they do. And I'd like there to be enough of an opportunity to be really good at stuff, if you know what I mean. I, I think there's a bunch of people that are really good at specific things that have to do so much other shit. And I, I like the the sound of or the prospect of people just being really good at what they're really good at. And then what does that mean as a founder or an entrepreneur? Like you're, what are you thinking about and how you position for that? And then there's obviously the question of rebundling, which is also similarly interesting. Like what, what shape does the rebundling take? Who are the gatekeepers? You know, what role do the current gatekeepers play? Things like that. Is specialization and the ability to be a specialist a function of the amount of completed infrastructure or available infrastructure? Is it a function of market size? Is it a function of a company's relentless focus? What enables one to be a specialist in this context? Mm, it's a good question. It's, it's some combination of those things that I'd, that I'd probably call maturity. It's like, you remember playing sports when you were a kid? You could play like 10 positions. You just run everywhere. It wasn't that serious. As you grow older and everybody gets better, and obviously everybody becomes more mature and understands the game more and the context of the game, et cetera, et cetera. You specialize. You start realizing that if I spend my time on the left wing using my pace and I have a good team around me, you can, you know, my striker can score. There's someone going to be at the end of my crosses. It's better for all of us. Yeah. Ecosystem building is a team sport. That's a bar, bro. That reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever read the book Range. You always tell me to read it, but I'm ready. Really good book. But they say also that the most successful people in sports and in music and whatever else were generalists to start. And then ultimately they specialized and what made them good was their generalist experience. And so if we extrapolate that to ecosystems, a lot of these companies early on are starting as generalists, but as they mature and as the ecosystem matures, they then are enabled to be specialists and hopefully they'll be better specialists because they had to be generalists previously. Yep, I'm with that. I like some of that. That's it for this episode and the series of episodes of The Flip. We're hard at work on our next season. And until then, we'll still be publishing written content, including long-form essays in our weekly bite-sized newsletter, The Flip Notes. So be sure to follow us on social media at The Flip Africa, 
and subscribe to the newsletter at theflip.africa. Thanks as always for listening and we'll see you soon.